0: Hebrews is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. There's so much depth here in how it explains the Old Testament Hebrew religion and how it all points to Christ. And here in this section that I read for our epistle lesson, the writer explains one of the jobs of the Messiah. And it's one that we don't hear much about, at least anymore today. Now if you think of jobs throughout history, there are usually jobs uh, that are needed in a very specific time for a specific reason. And eventually are no longer needed or they get replaced uh, maybe by a person or or by, by technology even. Giving an example, in the late 19th century, there used to be a job that no longer exists called the knocker up. And I'm not making this up. Before alarm clocks, and for those of you who don't know what alarm clocks were, they were these little devices that sat next to your bed. Uh, and they were connected to a, a radio. And for those of you who don't know what a radio is, but the knocker-ups job would be to, to be your alarm clock. They would wake you up in the morning. And the way that they would do this would be that they would actually go to your home in the morning, and they would use a, a big, long stick, and they, would, and they would knock and beat on your window until you woke up and you got out of bed. And they wouldn't leave until they were sure that you were awake and out of bed. If you think your phone snooze button is, a morning, is annoying in the morning now, just imagine having a knocker up. In Puritan churches in the 18th century, there used to be a position called the sluggard waker. And, and there, there, this person's sole job was to, was to roam the congregation during the sermon, and, and, and he would have a, a stick. And if anyone in the congregation even appeared to be sleeping, he would go to them and tap them. Uh, But this wasn't a a gentle tap. He would use a a big long pole with a brass knob on the end and he would whack you upside the head if he thought you were sleeping. Now, I just learned about these positions that no longer exist this past week. And and while we really can't use the the sluggard waker here in the church now because none of you are here, uh, it might not be a bad time to bring back the, the knocker up to go to your house to wake you up for 9 a.m. live stream church on a more serious note it's been interesting these past 2 weeks how many people's jobs have been virtually in part in the pond moved entirely online and if you are privileged enough and it is a privilege to have a job right now uh, you might have some uneasiness about it if you don't have a job let me know and we as the church can pray for you and do what we can to help you. But if you do, and you are working online right now, and maybe you think, are my skills actually needed? I mean, if this can all be done online, can't anyone do it? And, and if this can be done online, can it be automated? Can a computer do this? And, and will I be out of a job? Will I become like the knocker-up? Our scripture lesson for today from Hebrews describes a job, an office that we no longer see around us today, but it hasn't gone away, it hasn't been replaced, it hasn't even gone online. It's the office of high priest, and it's the most essential of essential jobs. In the Old Testament, Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first high priest. And there was only ever one high priest at a time. And just a few verses before our text today, we actually see one of the functions of the high priest. The writer to the Hebrews describes the temple, the, the earthly tent that was made with hands, that God prescribed, and, and how there were two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place where, where the Ark of the Covenant and, and where God came to dwell on the mercy seat the regular priests would, would always enter the holy place. Uh, you can imagine our sanctuary, uh, the, uh, the nave where, where the congregation sits, that would be like the holy place, and the, the chancel here would be like the most holy place. And, and so the regular priests and the people would always all, all be out into the regular area, and they would be offering sacrifices uh, continually, praying, offering grain offerings, blood offerings, first fruits, And all of these offerings that these priests would make would be for the sins that the people knew about. And they would do them continually. Every day they would be in there. But only the high priest would enter into the second section of the tent. And once per year on the day of atonement. And not without blood. Here he would offer a sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people that were committed in ignorance. And the only thing that could pay for it was blood. And it would never be enough because by the time the sacrifice was offered and by the time the scapegoat was sent away, uh, each and every person had already sinned. Sinned not only knowingly and willingly, but also unknowingly. In ignorance. In, uh, in ignorance. They had sinned even, the the high priest had sinned even as he was offering the sacrifice because he was, and they were, sinners. And the consequences of that sin and the inability of the blood of animals to atone for sin was represented by the temple itself and the two rooms which were divided by a curtain. And and so you can imagine our sanctuary and the arch right above me, uh, where I'm standing now, uh, would be totally divided by a curtain or a veil. And the holy place where, where all, and the rest of the temple where all the people were uh, and, and where they were offering continual sacrifices was a picture of the entire Old Testament. The curtain was representative of the separation that existed between God and man due to sin that those sacrifices would never be enough to remove. Not all the blood of beasts could do this. And I think we're experiencing, at least in a sense, what that separation might feel like. We are separated due to the coronavirus right now from each other, from our loved ones from our family, we are separated even from worship at our own church. And even if we are able to see each other, yet we, we have to remain six feet apart. And, and, it, and it feels like this isolation isn't doing any good. I mean, each day we hear about more and more positive cases. We hear about how the virus is spreading more and more and more, even as we're staying home. The separation that the virus of sin causes is so much worse, so much more agonizing, and so much more infectious and deadly, and there is absolutely no cure or workaround for it. Those sacrifices that would continually be offered would never be enough to remove the separation. In fact, the more they offered, the more sin there was to atone for. It would be like sending in a healthy person to take care of an infected person, but then for sure that healthy person would be infected. And then, and then sending in more people to take care of that person, and each one of them gets an infected. Just, just aggravating the situation and multiplying the, the, the virus, the spread. No one person, no one priest or high priest could remove the virus of sin. Not even the Old Testament high priest, as good as he may have been. But the high priest was allowed once per year into the most holy place. The holy of holies. And this was where God literally dwelt. Where he came to sit on the mercy seat. The most holy place was a symbol of the time when, when, God, when man would, uh, would approach God, could approach God without separation, without fear. It was a picture of heaven. And when God would not just allow people to to get close to him, but when God would establish a new covenant, a new testament in his blood, and actually commune with people, actually unite himself to people. For the high priest to, 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 to get this ability to get this glimpse once per year and then for for him to have to leave that room must have been the most agonizing and most frustrating thing in the world. Imagine being in the most perfect place with everyone you love and then being ripped away from that after only being allowed there for a few moments. But thankfully, we don't have to simply imagine a place where we are at peace and unity with God because that is our reality that has already begun and will be brought to completion in heaven. On Good Friday, which we'll be celebrating in just under two weeks, a miraculous event occurred at the temple in Jerusalem. At the very moment that Christ Jesus breathes his last breath and utters, it is finished. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the veil is torn, God's mercy flows. It is poured out into all the world. We are no longer cut off and separated from God by our sin. We are no longer separated from our holy God. God's holiness comes directly to us because of the completed work, the finished work of Christ for us. And the reason this is true is because Christ was the perfect and final high priest who by his death did what no one else could possibly do. Listen again to our text. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that were coming, he went through the greater and more complete tent, which was not made by by human hands, that is, not a part of this creation. He entered once into the most holy place and obtained eternal redemption, not by the blood of of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And his blood has cleansed our consciences from dead works. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. As I was writing my sermon earlier this week, I, I, I almost wrote, uh, we don't have high priests around us anymore. But that's not true. We still do have a high priest. We just no longer have a high priest who is a sinner like us but we do have a high priest who is truly human we have a high priest who is true God we have a high priest who is not only in heaven but is also here on earth and not just in some holy place somewhere but everywhere and not just virtually but really really here he is really truly here in his body and blood he is really present in baptism, in which He tore open His side to pour out the water and blood of life, He is really present in His Word, which comes to you even today as you are separated from one another in your own homes. You are not separated from God, He is really with you. Jesus refuses. To be separate from you. And instead of getting infected by our sin, He infects us with His righteousness, completely defeating and washing away our uncleanness and our sin. Christ is the high priest who has done what no one else could do. By His death, He has removed your sin, He has removed the separation. And in fact, he has made you of extreme value. You are not expendable to God. You are essential. A death took place as payment for the trespasses committed under the first covenant. So those who are called would receive the promised eternal inheritance. Inheritance. You are called by God. In his death, receive your life. By Christ's work, you are now a part of his body and have true communion with him, with with him and all of his precious saints. Jesus, our high priest, knows, however, that we don't always see with the eyes of faith very well. And that we need to be reminded of the re- <clears throat> excuse me, and that we need to be reminded <coughs> of the realities that He is truly with us, and so He hasn't done away with the priesthood, but rather He's instituted the office of pastor, and He's changed our, our job description just a little. And while a portion of my work is now being done online or via the phone and text the essence of the pastoral office is still in-person, face-to-face contact. And the reason is that you and I don't have a virtual need for a pastor, just as we don't have a virtual need for a Savior, but a real one. And so even in this strange time, if you need pastoral care, if you need Christ's body and blood, if you need private confession and absolution, or if, God forbid, something worse should happen, and you are on your deathbed and need a pastoral visit, I will do everything I can to visit you in person. My job isn't to atone for your sin, as the Old Testament priests did, or to offer sacrifices for you. My job isn't to worship for you, The duty of the New Testament priesthood is to celebrate Jesus, our high priest's completed work, to distribute his blessings and to direct us to look forward to his return when he will visibly be with us forever. Take comfort that Jesus is your high priest. In Jesus' name, Amen.